Shalom. Salam. Namaste. Greetings. Uh, this is Harlem University Radio, and I'm Naeem Abdurafi. And uh, welcome. Let me first uh, address my uh, Facebook uh, connections. Uh, in particular, uh, people who are the administrators of groups, uh, uh, th- those groups uh, t- to whom I've sent uh, the uh, promotion about this uh, about this show, uh, those administrators who, who are saying to themselves, "Well, why am you know can he read? You know, uh, what he's doing here is uh, you know outside of the." the stated purview of this, uh, uh, of this group. And, uh, and I, and, and so I would, I would, I would argue that this way. Um, <clears throat> my real purpose for this show is, um, is thoughtful discussion around um, written work. That is, I'm uh, really, I really want to share this time with people who, as my co-hosts, come on to the show and read a work in progress, uh, especially uh, a memoir or a biography they're they're, they're working on, uh, or um, especially a memoir, especially a memoir, or um, biographical fiction, um, work in progress, or something they have completed. And um, come on to the show, having invited... um, you, you, uh, you know, their contacts, you know, to dial in live so that they would be able to uh, be able to, to, to comment, you know, once, uh, you know, once the once the reading is done. So this is this would this would uh, be especially useful for someone working on a memoir or a biography and uh, who would uh, benefit uh, from the feedback of, of people who know something about them, who are people from their past, uh, who would be able to, uh, uh, you know, fill in, fill in gaps. And, of course, this would be, what I'm, what I'm proposing would be useful for anyone uh, seeking to uh, promote what, uh, you know, what they're writing or what they um, expect to publish. And if you if if you want what you uh, what you're writing to be read, <coughs> well, what you want to do is you want to sell it. You'll get you know you'll get readers that way. Um, and you could make money. So. That's that's uh, 
uh, you know, that's that's really what I want to do here. And then the um, advertised purpose is um, <coughs> my reading a uh, a history topic. Tonight's topic, for example, is uh, wars of religion, Europe, 16th and 17th centuries. But I've, I've sent an ad around indicating that my history reading is the default show. Um, I would much prefer to have, again, to have uh, guests come on and read from what they're working on uh, or, or, or what, they've, what they've completed. And again, I have some limitations because history, you know, is 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 the uh, uh, the issue here. Is 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 what we want, but uh, <clears throat> subsumed, uh, you know, uh, under history. Or well, I'm subsuming under history, memoir, biography. Biographical, biographical fiction. There might even be room for, you know, some poetry. Uh, you know, um, somebody may have, uh, you know, produced some, uh, you know, some, 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 you know, an epic, uh, an epic biographical uh, a poem. So certainly that that would be welcome. So that's what we want. And that that uh, is uh, in accord with the stated purpose of this show. And let me read that. <clears throat> Studying history to find humanity, what was, is, and and can be. So all of the the uh, genres I've mentioned, you know, memoir, bi- biography. These are all history by which we can find humanity, what was, is, and can be. Writing history, memoirs in particular, uh, to find ourselves. Again, writing of of any kind brings us uh, closer uh, in touch with ourselves. Certainly, memoirs do, okay? And, and concerning memoirs, before I go on with this, uh, reading this, this show description, uh, I, have a, I have a technique that I would, uh, you know, in case you're considering doing a memoir and, you know, and, and uh, a bit hesitant uh, because of, uh, you know, maybe not wanting to dredge up some things, um, we can, we can. I've got a technique that uh, you you should find pretty pretty helpful. So we can, um, you know, we can we we can uh, talk outside of the show or on the show, some, you know, um, and, and you know, you know about that technique. When we got started um, a year or so ago, um, I, I spent a lot of time talking about uh, talking about that technique. Um, but you know, I'd like to get back to it if I get get some people who uh, want to get going on a memoir. You know, 
memoirs are um, not 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 to get into the you know into it very far, but memoirs are really 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 um, can be really very beneficial um, to a family um, uh, to a uh, to to a community um, you know to everyone for, uh, for um, d- decades and who knows centuries to come okay so encouraging the reading of what should be read okay so that's um, I guess that's that's uh, what I do you know in, in in reading history because I think that more than anything history is what should be read so that's how I spend my time my reading time is reading history along with including I should say uh, biography and and memoirs okay <clears throat> so encouraging encouraging the writing of what should be written okay encouraging the reading of what should be read encouraging the writing of what should be written this is the Harlem U mission Harlem University professors share history they are writing or reading Harlem University professors who are they they are the people I've just been talking about you 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 become a member of the faculty when you you come on and and you share okay so you know concerning all of this and uh, <clears throat> how to connect with me and how to um, um, access earlier shows um, especially it would be especially helpful if you're in, you know if you're interested in the history to um, listen to um, previous shows so that you have you have some background um, and um, so all, all of the shows are archived and you just need to go to my, my landing page and go to the menu and um, look for podcasts so that's uh, that's that's one way to do it um, so and in the landing page the address of that is 607-206-9720.com. Again and again. 607-206-9720.com. 607-206-9720.com. So let me, before I get to tonight's um, default uh, uh, activity, which is the reading of um, uh, some history having to do with the wars of religion, uh, Europe, 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, Before I get to that, let me repeat my appeal. You know, what what I'm really after, and I think a lot of people uh, I think this a lot a lot of people um, will agree with me you know my appeal with resonate with a lot of people what I'm really after is a uh, um, an elevation 
of discourse among humans. Thus, elevation of discourse on discussion of of, uh, of someone else's thinking, um, uh, respectful discussion, um, because you know, my my understanding is that the the truly thinkers that have lived among humans are people who in all cases conceded that while they consider themselves correct on a certain subject um they 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 accept that someone else could also be correct having a different position these are the real real thinkers okay so we we are <clears throat> we humans in in this time need to um i feel they need to be um thinking along uh, such lines, meaning that we need to be reading and talking about what we're reading and writing and talking about what we're writing. To, uh, so that's that's what uh, I'd like to see going on here. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we're going to get to the default program. And uh, let me bring that up and I'll start my reading. <clears throat> so um, we're reading from a 1936 a college textbook titled On the Road to Civilization, A World History. I guess this would be a, a Western Civ class. Okay. Uh, by Professors Albert Kerr Heckel and James G. Sigmund Heckel, H-E-C-K-E-L, and Sigmund, S-I-G-M-A-N, Albert Heckel and James Sigmund. <clears throat> On the Road to Civilization, A World History, 1936, um, Philadelphia, John C. Winston Company. <clears throat> so we're in um, chapter 29 of that book, uh, the title of which is Wars of Religion. First topic, new champion of Catholicism. Oh, by the way, this should take us uh, maybe maybe 15 minutes maybe 20 minutes, okay? Emperor Charles V, uh, broken in spirit. Oh, one more interruption. Um, this will be uh, archived, available uh, to access on demand in, in two or three days, okay? So if you... If you can't hang out for the whole thing, then 
you go to the website and uh, you go to the menu and you look for a podcast and that'll take you to where you can get this show and any show going back months. <clears throat> okay, the topic, new champion of Catholicism. So we're talking 16th century here. And Emperor Charles V, broken in spirit by the successful revolt of Protestants, abdicated in 1556 and divided his Habsburg possessions between his son Philip and his brother Ferdinand. Ferdinand received the Austrian possessions and became emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Philip became king of Spain and the Spanish possessions in America, Italy, Sicily, uh, and the Netherlands. Philip took his kingship seriously with unceasing devotion to the affairs of Spain he built up an absolute monarchy and he became the champion of the Catholic cause sincerely believing himself to be God's agent for stamping out Protestantism he felt fully justified in the cruelest use of the Inquisition against heretics for he regarded them not only as traitors to God but as rebels who would break up the unity of the state. With Protestantism seemingly established in most of Europe outside Spain, Portugal, uh, and Italy, Catholicism attempted to recover what it had lost. And a world war between Protestants and Catholics was inevitable. It started in the Netherlands. Topic. Philip drives <coughs> excuse me. Philip drives the Netherlands into revolt. The Netherlands or Low Countries were a group of seventeen provinces in that part of Europe, which is modern Belgium and Holland. Uh, uh, through French and German marriage alliances, the Netherlands became the possession of the House of Habsburg, and during the Reformation period were ruled by Emperor Charles V. Protestantism had made inroads into some of the provinces, and Charles, by means of the Inquisition, strenuously resisted its spread. So again, Charles is the father of Philip. Yet the people remained loyal to him. He was one of them, and they enjoyed great commercial prosperity under his rule. Always keep your eyes on the money. But when Philip II became king, the attitude of the people changed. Philip was typically Spanish. The Netherlands resented him as a foreigner. His senseless persecutions served to arouse discontent even among the Catholic majority. In 1565, some of the nobles formed a league to secure the abolition of the Inquisition and marched to Brussels to present their grievances to the regent. They were contemptuously referred to 
as beggars, and they enthusiastically adopted the name beggars, the beggars. Philip answered their protest by sending the Duke of Alva to punish the Netherlands. He established a, a tribunal known as the Council of Blood to ferret out rebels and heretics whom he, execute, whom he executed remorselessly. Topic. William the Silent leads, Dutch, leads the Dutch in revolt against Philip. William of Orange, known in history as William the Silent, devoted his life to freeing his country from Philip's tyranny. Help was given William by the Dutch people of Holland. Dutch freebooters, beggars of the sea, as they were known, captured Spanish ships and sold them to England. The revolt against Spain grew, and William was elected governor of the provinces of Holland and, and, uh, and Zealand. Holland and Zealand. Let me... Zealand, 1572. I don't think that's New Zealand. Alva attempted to suppress the revolt with with bloody fury. But the 17 northern provinces continued their resistance and in 1581 declared their independence of Spain as the United Provinces or the Dutch Republic. William the Silent Quote, the noblest statesman of the 16th century, um, <clears throat> attributed to I don't know whom, William the Silent was assassinated three years later. The Dutch gradually drove the Spanish from the Netherlands, but the independence of the Republic was not recognized by Spain until 1648. <clears throat> Topic. Civil wars in France. In France, Catholics and Protestants filled the latter part of the 16th century with a series of nine bloody wars, which involved political as well as religious issues. We've already learned that the religious reformation in France did not become a national movement as in Germany. The majority of Frenchmen remained faithful to the church. Protestant ranks were filled not only by those desiring reform of the church, but also by many nobles and townsmen who had political grievances. The French Protestants accepted Calvinism and became known as Huguenots. The, con- the confused political situation encouraged the Huguenots uh, to enter politics. Two factions of nobles one Catholic, the other Protestant, struggled with, with each other for the control of the government. The crafty, sinister queen mother, Catherine de' Medici, skillfully and unscrupulously played one group against the other to her own advantage. At first, she granted the Huguenots limited toleration, but the Catholic nobles, angered at her concessions, murdered a group of Huguenots who were at worship, and the Protestants throughout France then took the field against the Catholics. The Huguenot leader, Admiral Coloni, became so influential that 
Cologne, became so influential that Catherine plotted his assassination. The plot failed, and Catherine, fearful of Huguenot revenge for the attack on their leader's life, decided on the, uh, on the death of all Huguenots in Paris. Okay, C-O-L-I-G-N-Y. Okay, that's the, the Admiral. So she decided on the death of all Huguenots in Paris. At midnight on St. Bartholomew's Day, August 24, 1572, the slaughter began. For three days and nights, it continued and was later extended to other parts of France until at least 10,000 Huguenots were killed. This massacre, massacre of St. Bartholomew's Day aroused the surviving Huguenots to more determined action, and under the leadership of Henry of Navarre, they continued the struggle. Henry of Navarre succeeded to the French throne as Henry IV, the first of the Bourbon, Bourbon line. Civil war continued until Henry IV brought peace by turning Catholic. As soon as he was crowned king, Henry issued the Edict of Nantes, Nantes, 1598. Well, N-A-N-T-E-S, Nantes, Edict of Nantes, 1598, which granted religious toleration to the Huguenots. Although it extended toleration only to Calvinists, uh, and the Huguenots were Calvinists, the Edict was the first formal recognition of the principle of religious freedom by a European state. Henry set himself to the task of restoring France from the ruin caused by the religious wars, but he was assassinated by a religious fanatic. Topic, Richelieu, Catholic Cardinal and French Duke. When Louis XIII, son of Henry IV, took over the government, he made Cardinal Richelieu his chief minister. Richelieu, uh, one of the greatest statesmen of the 17th century, controlled the government of France for 18 years. Although a Catholic cardinal, he was also a French duke, and he was governed by political rather than religious motives. So I think we've seen that also with uh, Catherine de' Medici. He tried to make his king absolute. Uh, and in, uh, that is, his king would be Louis XIII. <clears throat> and in carrying out this purpose, Richelieu crushed the unruly Catholic nobles and deprived the Huguenots of their fortified towns because they were a menace to national unity. But he was not content with merely strengthening uh, the, the national monarch. He, he wished his nation uh, to be strong among the nations of Europe, particularly at the expense of Spain and the Habsburg emperor. Richelieu's opportunity came in the Thirty Years' War. 
topic, 30 Years' War, 1618 16 through to 1648. The Peace of Augsburg in 1555 failed to settle the religious question in Germany. The toleration established by this agreement was limited only to Catholics and Lutherans. It made no provision for Calvinists who had, who had since 1555 greatly increased in numbers particularly in southern Germany and in Bohemia. The settlement regarding church lands also was unsatisfactory. It had provided that, should a Catholic bishop become Protestant, he was to surrender his church lands to the Catholic Church. But this provision was not observed. It was only natural that the Protestants should appropriate the church lands of the converts. This situation created bitter hatred between Protestants and Catholics. In 1618, hostilities broke out with the Protestant revolt in Bohemia. This was the beginning of the Thirty Years' War. So Bohemia is modern-day Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, that, that neighborhood. It was really a series of wars, which in time involved most of the continent. In the Bohemian period of the war, Catholic forces made short work of the revolt. Lands of Bohemian nobles were confiscated, and the people were were, uh, forced back into Catholicism. Intervention came, however, from the Protestant king of Denmark who led an army into Germany. This was in 1625. In addition to the religious motive, the Danish king was moved by a desire to oppose the Habsburgs and to extend Danish influence over the ports of the North Sea. But the Danish forces were overwhelmed and driven from Germany by the skillful general Wallenstein, who had raised an army of hired soldiers for the emperor. The emperor took advantage of these Catholic successes and issued an edict which restored all properties taken from the church, 1555, Augsburg. The situation was critical for the Protestants, but help came from Lutheran Sweden. Gustavus Adolphus, the king of Sweden, had reason to fear the Habsburg emperor who threatened to defeat the king's ambition to make the Baltic Sea a Swedish lake. Perhaps the chief motive for Gustavus Adolphus's intervention in German German affairs was his love for the Protestant cause, perhaps. The Swedish phase of the war began when he invaded Germany in 1630. This new Protestant leader received aid from an unexpected quarter. The great French statesman, Cardinal Richelieu, the Catholic Cardinal, hoping to crush Habsburg power, Cardinal Richelieu, hoping to crush crush Habsburg power, allied himself with the Protestant general and supplied him with funds. Gustavus uh, uh, Adolphus, 
aided by the Protestant princes of Germany, defeated a veteran imperial army, uh, and advanced into southern Germany. At Lutzen, the two leading generals of the day, Gustavus Adolphus and Wallenstein, met in the greatest battle of the war. The battle ended in a Swedish victory, but at heavy cost, for Gustavus Adolphus was killed. With his death, the Protestant cause seemed lost. Again, help came through the intervention of Richelieu. Richelieu. He saw the entrance of France into the war as an opportunity to humble the Habsburgs and to round out the quote-unquote natural borders of France. Thus, in its fourth period, the war became a political struggle between the French Bourbons and the Austrian Habsburgs. It became international in scope with the Swedes, German Protestants, and Dutch fighting on the side of the French Catholics against Austria and Spain. So you're getting all of this, right? Lots of confusion. The war degenerated into organized murder and pillage and was prolonged over 13 weary years until 1648. Richelieu died in 1642, but he lived to see the fruits of his diplomacy in the addition of Alsace and Lorraine to French soil. The war was brought to an end by a a series of treaties known as the Peace of Westphalia. Peace of Westphalia. Under this notable European settlement, French boundaries were extended to the Rhine by the accession of Alsace and three important uh, bishoprics, bishoprics in Lorraine. Sweden received portions of northern Germany, northern Germany, which gave her control of three large German rivers, the Oder, the Elbe, and the Wesser, or Wesser, and made her an important Baltic power in control of German commerce. Brandenburg, which became the nucleus of the future king of Prussia, uh, secured territorial additions, future kingdom of Prussia, secured territorial additions. The independence of Switzerland and of the United Provinces, that is Holland, was formally recognized. France and Sweden received votes in the German Diet, and, and, and this gave them some opportunity to interfere in German affairs. The religious settlement granted toleration to Protestants and Catholics in Germany. The religion of each principality or town was to be determined by the ruler, but the principle of toleration was gradually extended to individuals and religious persecution practically ceased. The treaty introduces a principle of modern diplomacy, balance of power. By the Peace of Westphalia, the place of leadership in Europe passed from Spain to France. A new principle of diplomacy 
was introduced into international affairs called the balance of power. Statesmen, henceforth, made alliances and formed leagues and fought wars to prevent any one power from becoming too strong for uh, the safety of the others. Since the 17th century, most of the wars of Europe have been fought to preserve this balance, this balance or to restore it if disturbed. For the strong powers, as before, constantly attempted to increase their strength by plundering weaker states. Uh, All right, and finally, the effects of the Thirty Years' War on Germany. The Thirty Years' War was one of the most devastating wars of history, and Germany emerged from it in a pitiable condition. Soldiers had swept over the land and destroyed harvests, cattle, and homes, leaving many a fertile district little more than a barren desert. Much of the land remained uncultivated for more than a generation. War, disease, and famine had reduced the population of the empire from over 16 million to less than 6 million. That's more than decimation. Uh, Germany, German industry and trade were ruined. Flourishing cities were reduced to insignificance, and five-sixths of the villages were destroyed. In Bohemia, only about one-sixth of the villages escaped destruction. Moral life was degraded. Religion, in whose name the war had been fought, the wars were fought in the name of religion, but obviously they were political wars and when we talk about politics, we've got to look for the money. So anyway, moral life was degraded. Religion, in whose name the war had been fought, gave way to superstition. The burning of witches became common. In one city, 9,000 were reported to have been put to death in a single year. In many parts of the empire, This is the Holy Roman Empire still. Education almost disappeared. Practically all the cultural gains from the Renaissance and Reformation were lost. And Germany remained under the deadly blight of this war until the 19th century. Bismarck. If you're interested in this, and you should be, because this this period really was... Yeah, what you would call a a watershed period in the in the history of the West, including the United States, the history of Europe. So um, you know you can you can go back and and uh, listen to earlier you know earlier shows podcasts and um, you know come back to this and. And, and appreciate it, uh, and uh, appreciate it more. So, with that, 
we will close. And again, in order to connect with the the show, you know, particularly about the coming on as a co-host and 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 reading from what you're doing or what you've done, um, particularly for that reason, but for any reason, you might just want to come on and and read some history that uh, complements in some way the history that uh, I'm reading. Um, when I have to read history again, next week, for example, we'll be going on, you know, we'll still be talking about um, Europe, the wars of religion behind us. Um, uh, more of a discussion about the, the the development of the the national states, um, 18th century. Um, all right. So again, uh, to connect with the show and or to um, access um, the previous shows. Uh, you go you, you go to the menu at uh, at the at the web page the, the landing page 607 206 com 607-206-9720.com. and finally 607-206-9720.com. i thank you for your attendance and your forbearance, and I uh, fervently hope to hear from uh, some uh, people wanting to join the faculty of Harlem University, uh, uh, Harlem University. So um, with that, uh, uh, shalom, salam, so long.